Hi, everybody. Welcome to the new episode number 110 of the China Manufacturing Decoded podcast. And today it's going to be myself, Renaud Joram, together with Clive Greenwood, who was on the podcast before, who's, who's uh, joined us a few times. Hey, Clive, how are you doing? Good morning. Um, and we're going to talk again about some compliance topics, uh, and more specifically about an, an upcoming regulation in the European Union. So why is this of interest to, to people who buy? Where every, everybody who will put some products, as long as it's not food or drugs, <laughs> but everybody who puts some products on the market in the European Union are going to have to pay attention to this. And we haven't heard much about it, about it but it, 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 it's coming soon, right? So first, you want to give us a little bit of um, uh, like a background information on, on, on what's going to happen and, and why you are paying attention to this. Okay, yeah. Well, first of all, good morning, Rayo. I will basically tell you that the amount of regulations which are coming down the pipe are, um, are just too big to cover in one one simple podcast. We're probably going to have to do this over a few. This all stems around the climate accord, which happened, first of all, in Paris. Really, what we're talking about is a, is a fundamental change in the way that products are manufactured, sold, recycled. The first one that we really got to look at is, if you like, the, the one which is now in play, which is the 2022 to 2024 timescale uh, regarding what, what should be called the, the Green New Deal. Its implications are enormous. And there's just no other way of, of, of saying this. And and today we're going to focus on the eco-design. So there's currently an eco-design directive, right? Which is specifically about, okay, like heaters and uh, you know, products that use a lot of energy. And this is a very restrictive way of thinking of eco-design, right? But now they're taking this and they say, no, 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 okay. This was extremely narrow. Now we're going to make it much, much wider. Um, and they have an eco-design regulation coming up. So now it's at the at the stage of the proposal. So it's, it's already been a lower done. It's not voted and fair yet, but very advanced. So it's very probably going to be regulation with the scope they have in mind. Um, it, it, so basically, what what does that include? Uh, I copied some of the um, the text, right? And what they say is that they want to ex- extend the scope of the Eco-Design Directive beyond energy-related products so that it covers, I'm quoting right here, the broadest possible range of products and helps achieve a circular economy. Uh, so can we say that this is a, a massive impact? This is going to touch pretty much oh, all I- the product categories? I think that, I mean, we're starting off with textiles, which is the first one, but they've actually, the textile industry has been having this 
build upon them for probably about the past two years. Mm. Now, I, I'm t along with textiles comes, comes consumer electronics. Mm -hmm. The focus there tends to be on computers, laptops, tablets, and probably telephones. The next thing that's coming in, uh, which will be enforced by 2030, is EV batteries. So electric vehicle batteries and the complete banning of lead-acid batteries. Right. This so, is, from what you're saying, is, is like a huge thing. Right. Um, so what you're saying is that they're priori prioritizing the product categories. They're looking at some of them that have a high impact on the environment, right? Yeah, they talk about textile, they talk about construction materials. Um, they are, yeah, they seem to be looking at consumer electronics, uh, correct. And But at the same time, they also say there are some horizontal aspects to the regulation that will actually impact basically all non-food, non-drug products. Uh, that are sold in in the EU, uh, yeah. and this is um, this is going to come up actually as, as soon as the regulation is implemented, right? So this is something well, that's coming up now. To... Yeah, right. Now, there, there are there, there are companies which are actually um, putting their house in order now. Right, right. Because oh. you, you 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 cannot do this. Uh, anything of this scale uh, 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 on a on a few months' notice, right? Okay, I, I, the, you know, I mean, I mean, first and foremost, we've got to look at a few few facts and figures which are coming out with this one. I made a quick couple of notes of this. I mean, the first one is that because of the so-called Green Deal, and I'm not sure about this. Okay, in 2021, 120 billion euros was saved on energy bill. Now, yeah. now, okay, I find that a little bit strange and a little bit questioning because in 2021, half the factories in the world were closed down. Right. So <laughs> is it the fact that we wasn't using the amount of energy because the factories were closed or that people are starting to get a little bit greener in their, their, their manufacturing? Now, I can't see that because... <laughs> it, it takes the same amount of power as what it did a year ago to make the same product as what it does today. This, I think, is a bit fudged. However, the EU is saying that that's what the figures are showing, that 2021, 120 billion euros was saved uh, on the power consumption. First, let's cover, because people are wondering, what is this whole thing that's coming up you know, on, on us? Um, and... Let's cover that quickly. Then we get into all these requirements about uh, transparency, about economic actors and manufacturing facilities. So it's extremely important. Yes. So there's another excerpt here. So basically what they say that is that they want to, and I'm quoting, increase the reliability, comparability, and verifiability of environmental claims about products via requirements that such claims be substantiated and verified using life cycle analysis methods, right? So they don't want people to keep saying, well, this is eco-friendly because such and such. So this is right here, a big warning sign 
if you have claims on your products that you know it's eco-friendly it's green it's this and that you get to substantiate it and you know there's certain verified yeah right yeah. now reality um, if let's assume that what we're talking about here is product which has been manufactured in China and sold in the EU, because I mean clearly this is what this is about. I've had a great deal of difficulty over the years going to supply, going into manufacturers and say I want total transparency up the supply chain, and the answer is no, in most of the cases. Right. What what this is talking about and its crux. The whole of this idea of this new um, uh, eco design is to put is to put that information available to the consumer. This what's coming along is a consumer empowered um, drive for sustainability and accountability. Right, right. Yeah, giving a lot of information to to consumers and, and labeling, also to other economic actors, such as uh, the retailer, the, you know, uh, maybe making sure that the importer themselves know this information and so on. Uh, but it's, it's, we're talking here about a lot of um, intentions. Now, again, we have to, to, to repeat that it hasn't been voted as a regulation yet. It still has to go in front of the European Council and the European Parliament. Um, however, there's pages and pages of, you know, this is the way information should be presented. This is the way it should be shared, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think this is going away. This is going to be... No, no, this is definitely not going away. The, uh, the the more that you, you research this, the more you understand the frameworks which they're putting in place. There are some questions, I mean, regarding the uh, the debate, which is around the centralized or decentralized data system. Right. Okay, now this is, you know, if you have a centralized data system, the red flag should be straight up there and no pun intended. The China just will not accept that. So, yeah, so... You, you, we talked before about the EU uh, medical device regulation. And in that yeah. case, what they have been putting in place, and it's very new and it's the first time that I know of that the EU has been doing that, is that they built their own IT system, their own database, the UDAMED, right? And yeah. everybody has got to submit their information to that database. And, and, and the notified bodies and, and the post-market surveillance, et cetera, et cetera, right? And every yeah. product has to have a, a unique identifier, UDIDI, and so on. And for, from what I read here, uh, the commission is not trying to go in the same direction, maybe because they found that it's so resource-intensive and maybe it's, it's a bit overkill for a lot of general yeah consumer goods and so on it right? is yeah but they're actually already talking about that the this is where we come back to the passport the passport will be the udi yes and 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 they say that basically if i summarize it's going to be a um, every product on the product itself as much as possible uh will be some kind of marking think of it maybe as a qr code a watermark or something else and it 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 
it will provide some extra information. It will not duplicate the user manual and things like that, but it will provide some information uh, about the technical file, about uh, what you know, who the economic actors have been, and 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 a bunch of information about um, the environmental impact and and the risks associated to to, to it, and so on, uh, and 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 maybe some other information, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It, 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 what they're looking at now is possibly an eight-digit code. And if you, you know, that first of all, does the product have the have the product passport, which is which has been verified by a notification body? Is their claims of sustainability accurate and correct? That is what's there. It will just say pass or stop. Yeah. However. The interested parties then can go into the database and then, if required, find out the information. Whether or not the information can be accessible by the general public, generally the answer to that at this moment in time is no, because it would be just too resource intensive. Now, they are looking at blockchain type systems. Is that the answer? No. I think that, well, the answer is that, that one, the notification bodies, for example, once you get your CE certificate, shall we say, or your CE mark, okay, that, that's now an almost tailor-made process where you can have that product registered. The next aspect to that is that it's very similar. What, what I'm reading is it's very similar to what they did with MDR. Whereas you must actually uh, verify your, your supply chain and the amount of power or energy which is used in that product. Okay, so in other words, like in the you know in in the in the UK now in the EU, if you're you're buying a house, you have a band which tells you how much power consumption that the house normally takes. Yeah, mm. think of it the same way. Mm-hmm. Yes, plus right. Plus a lot more, right? They mentioned, for example, if the product is going yeah. to be repaired, they might the repair shops might find some information by by scanning the code, um, and also they mentioned very specifically a number of times that it will allow the market surveillance authorities to go into the shops or anywhere and look at a product, scan it, and very quickly. See, okay, does this seem to be compliant or should we investigate this? Right? Yes, and, I think that that's the stage where you're at. Yeah. yeah. You've also, and, the interesting thing is that, that this code is also going to be scannable by customs departments. Yeah, customs, exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So if it's not got this, the chances are it's not even going to pass through customs. Right. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why they're talking about some kind of decentralized databases to be flexible, da-da-da. But they also want this information to be collected in a central registry that will be accessible to customs, to markets, authorities, and so on, so that they can actually do their job of confirming that all the products on the market are compliant. Um, And again, to repeat, because this is so enormous, this is going to be all products except food products and except drugs. That's really the scope that they're looking at. 
to be confirmed. Let's yeah. let's see what comes out um, after the final readings and final confirmations. But it's probably not going to be very different. I think it's not going to be any different whatsoever to what they're proposing now because there's just so much data out there. There, there is just so much information out there that are allowing companies to actually get ready for this. I expect this to be in force in in, in less than less than eighteen months. Wow. I think that you know that uh, that would be an aggressive timescale, admitted. And you know the the EU's past history on on having regulations passed is not good. However, what we saw, and we must take it in my view, we must take the view as what happened when we moved from the EU MDD to the EU MDR. And everybody was, yeah, everybody was saying, oh, it's, it will never happen. It, it'll just it'll be swept under the carpet like normal. And clearly that has not happened. I get the feeling that the, that the EU has suddenly got some teeth. Yeah, exactly. And it's decided to use it. Yeah. Uh, regards the formats, what, what, what this is going to be in the end game, I think we already know that, that a, a great deal of due diligence is going to have to be paid by buyers a great deal of due diligence. And they're already talking about the design and sustainability due diligence that you have to do. Yeah. It is, again, tying all the regulations together, in, 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 in for me, in, in a very nice way, that the, the ability to run and hide seems to be closing. And the, the mechanism that the EU is putting in place, they are spending billions of billions of euros on this particular aspect of it alone. The EU has, has, has released, I think it's 7 billion euros to put this in place. So this is not going to go away. Okay. Yeah, the Green Deal in general is huge. Yeah. And this is, a, this is a very important part of it. There's another one is the um, probably regulation about sustainable supply chains and, and, mm -hmm. um, and reporting. Yeah, and reporting, which is going to be a big yeah. part of it. But this is yeah. really about how products are designed, made, and how to make that information known to, to consumers. This is huge. This has to be a big part of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I think that um, if you think about who is going to be policing this, and the, we've had this conversation before when we've always said, who's actually going to police this? Who's going to enforce this? I think that what's going to happen here is that a great deal of the money that the EU is going to be spending is actually on, uh, on end customer awareness. They're going to allow the end user, the customer in the shop, to decide whether or not to buy this product or not. Yeah, um, and make it easier for market authorities and customers yeah. to, to actually do their own analysis and say, well, this looks like a higher risk. I'm going to check this. And then quickly, first glance, say, this looks okay or this looks non-compliant. And then quickly get to, okay, this is non-compliant. Because right now, it's, it's not easy for them in many cases to get all the information they need and they need to spend time in investigating, you know, everything they have to require that, please give me the technical file and blah, 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 because they don't have it already. It's, the importer is supposed to have it and the declaration of conformity and all these kinds of things come from mm -hmm. the importer. Uh, but now it's going to be different. It's all going to be accessible. 
arranged in a certain way that makes it possible to do analysis. And that yeah. that's going to make a big difference in terms of enforcement. And the, if if we look at the, the proposal for the regulation, they say it very, care, very clearly. They say, oh, that eco-design directive was not enforced uh, properly. It was... Um, it was disappointing. I forgot the exact word that they say, but they want to get to the next stage where uh, they, they, they want better enforcement. This is very clear. It's black and white, just like in medical devices again, which is the area where they, they just went really strong suddenly, uh, fast and strong, and, and everybody gets surprised or a lot of people get surprised, right? But we're going to see, it seems, the same uh, general attitude, the same general uh, approach across a number of different yeah, topics, right? What they say is no longer yeah. a directive, it's a regulation. So what, uh, Clive, what, what, what does it mean in, pra- in practice? It used to be a directive, now it's a regulation. Well, well regulation means case? law. Regulation means law. Right, immediately. Okay. Immediately. I say law which is enforceable in a court, in the European court. Okay, a directive, shall we say, a directive started off as being this is where we want to go. This is what you should be doing. Um, and then that suddenly got watered down to more of a suggestion. Hmm. A regulation is the law. The directive, in theory, yes, has to be translated into law over... Uh, the, the, every member state has some time to do it and so on, but then maybe they do it in their own way. And especially in terms of implementation... Uh, sorry, in terms of uh, compliance... Uh, enforcement, yeah. In terms of enforcement, it, it, yeah, it's been rather disappointing, right? If if you look at, let me sorry for just getting my notes out here. If you look at um, Article Twelve of the European Commission, where it, it states that that the member states shall have the right to implement parts thereof of regulations, okay, which basically meant that. As we've spoken before, if you look at the MDD, that that was the MDD was um, a suggestion. Mm-hmm. It was never enforced. Not not to the extent that they would like anyway, right? Yes. Okay, let's be kind to them and say that it was something which was nice on paper, but no one really paid a blind bit of attention to it, unless you're the big companies. Well, the regulate when it become a regulation, a European law then you're forced to pay attention to it. And this is exactly what's going to happen with this. Yeah. It will it will not go down. There, there is too much riding on this. There is too much out there already. There are companies already seeing this as a, prob- of, uh, as a challenge. The, e- the EU Commission seems to be absolutely determined. Not only are they putting this into the tax code as well, remember. Remember, under these new regulations, your taxable income, the way that you pay your taxes, the company taxes, are all going to be tied to this. Yeah, the what do they call it? The um, they make some category a taxonomy of different, more or less polluting, let's say, more or less sustainable uh, practices. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the the idea of having tax rebates because of 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 uh, reduced carbon footprints, nice idea, very good. Lots of false claims. Okay, what what you're seeing now, okay, and don't forget as well, included in this 
is if you are overproducing products, you have to report it. Yes, uh, they, they specifically mentioned this. They have several paragraphs about yeah. um, uh, unsold goods, and they they say that it has to be prevented as much as possible. It has to be declared for sure, and it has yeah. to be disincentivized, uh, right? which means yeah. it's going it to be painful. Yeah, it's going to be painful. You're going to pay more tax on it. I mean, think. Yeah, I think whichever way that you look at this, it's going to be taxable. Right, and and they look at they specifically mention garment and footwear. So that's yeah, that's it yeah, there. They, yeah, they call that you call that fast fashion. Yeah, especially especially for fast fashion, right? Right. Yeah. So this is definitely something that they are targeting as as first priority together with some con- certain construction products. Yes. Yeah. I think that the reason that fast fashion is being attacked here is because the about uh, the, the dependency on hydrocarbons that the fashion industry has or the textile industry has. And we know that microplastics in the oceans are, are literally just decimating the oceans. This is, this is where this is coming. You know, yeah. It, it's like, okay. I, I would hazard a guess that people have talked about okay, the lack of oil or the lack of uh, a, 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 a natural resource and gas. Okay, The biggest actual user of hydrocarbons is the plastics industries. Hmm. It's not the cars. It's the plastics industry. Oh, yeah. Plastic yeah. is everywhere. I mean, there's so many, so many types of plastics hitting you know, very high performance in some cases. Yeah. And it's light. Yeah, of course. Yes. There's a lot of plastics in cars. Yes. Yeah. So the, so the question is going to have to be uh, answered at some point. What about a world without plastics? Never mind a world without oil because one comes with the other. But the, the fact is this idea of throwaway textiles. Or, I mean, if you remember in the days of old, the, there was something which was called the rag trade. Yeah, where the guys used to go around and collect all the old clothes and the next thing that you knew they were being recycled and that just seemed to have disappeared. That disappeared at the same time when hydrocarbons and plastic started to be made into clothes. Because they, uh, they trained a number of consumers to just go shopping every month. And throw and away, to, yeah. To, yeah. to wear that little jacket or little dress or something two, three, four times, and then it, it starts to, to look bad. I mean, it's cheap. Uh, it starts to look bad after five or ten washings anyway. So they yeah. put it somewhere. They don't wear it. And after a while, they say, oh, I haven't worn this for a while, and I have a bunch Throw of it in the bin. Yeah. Put it in the bin. Throw it in the bin. Where's it end? Either in a landfill. where, where it, I mean, it's going to be there. Agnosium. Because for the simple reason is this thing, these, these do not degrade. But if they right. do degrade, they degrade into microplastics, which gets into the food chain, and we all end up actually eating this stuff. Right, right. So, yeah, fast fashion uses a lot of microfibers, you know, polyamide, polyester, etc. Sometimes with 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 uh, with with spandex and these kinds of um, of other uh, <laughs> products of, uh, of of the oil industry. Uh, and yes, they don't degrade fast. And they don't degrade well also and yeah. they migrate everywhere. And this is also, yes, this is a problem. So uh, yeah, as we say, textile are gonna be 
sort of priority number one with some others coming after and at the same yeah, time very, very quickly after as well right. it's not going to be we're going to see how textiles do oh yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be textiles have, have, have got this now consumer electronics have got this before 2024 it's only 18 months away that's huge yes that's really okay. fast. So, my 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 question as going to be to anybody that's listening to this is how ready are you do you even know about this I mean, look at if you look at your supply chain and the numbers mentioned on here are a proposed regulation of the eco design to 80% of all products recycled. 80%. Oh, yeah. No, it's the scope is going to be extremely wide. The scope is going to be extremely wide. Yeah. But so if you're buying from China, and you ask your Chinese manufacturer, what is your position regarding your foot, your, your carbon footprint? Oh, we have a plan. Okay, good. Ticking the box, yeah? No more. Right. Prove it. Yeah. It's okay. Stronger. And we, maybe we can talk about it in another podcast, but yeah, just ticking boxes and saying, do we have a plan? Yes. Do we know what's going on? Sort of. That's that's not going to be uh, valid, right? You're going to have no. to to dig some information, and probably not only about your direct supplier, but also deeper in the supply chain, which is going to be. It, it, it clearly, it clearly says, right? Oh, it clearly says, it clearly, clearly says in the proposal the complete supply chain. It doesn't say half of it yeah, or the yeah, first tier or second tip. It says all the way. Right, right. So, exactly. Flexibility so, all throughout. Yeah. yeah. So if if you are buying this idea of it gives, <laughs> I mean, what I like about it is it's going to stop a lot of bad actors. It, it's, yep. it's just as simple as that. It is going to stop a lot of bad actors. Yeah. But then there is a lot of of genuine companies out there that the the resources that you are going to require to meet this these standards. You're going to need a lot more than just a quality manager. Oh, this is, yeah. This is compliance. Well, the good thing is that it's pulling a lot of things into compliance because what we've seen is that when they say, well, this is compliance, you know, I don't know, you you buy toys and then you have, okay, you sell in the, the EU EN71, that's compliance. You just have to do it. And there's no... Maybe, you know, it's not black, it's not white, it's gray. No, no, no. It's got to be black or white because it's compliance. And a lot of companies have been trained to think that way now for safety-related requirements. But now they're going to have to see this also when it comes to, yeah, eco-design, basically all the environmental impact of the product, uh, including where it's made, how it's made, what is consumed when it's made, um, and then how, you know, is it all sold or is some of some of it unsold and destroyed? Uh, can and it, it yeah, and how reliable is it? And what it's what's its its life cycle look like? Yeah, how durable the end is of its it? life cycle? How much can it be? How much can it be recycled? Yeah, all is of it this. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. I, I mean, 
when you're doing now, when you're doing your risk analysis, this is an extra section, a whole, well, a whole new section to a risk analysis that has to be done. Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I'm having a great deal of difficulty when I'm reading these standards. And I'm, as you know, I'm used to reading standards. Mm-hmm. There are many which are coming from what, what does need to happen is there needs to be a unified code. Here is the, here is the standard. Here is the, what's required. Then it can be followed. Uh, as it is at the moment, they're, they're trying to bring in six different avenues and put them together and to get, you know, you almost need to be, well, you do need to be a lawyer to understand them <laughs> and implementing them at the, at the, at the, at the factory level in China is going to be a huge challenge. Yes, extremely challenging. Let me just throw out one quote, which is going to get a lot of people's hair up. Like, what? What are they talking about? Unique identification of products is a fundamental element to enable traceability across the supply chain. Therefore, the product passport should be linked to a unique product identifier. In addition, where appropriate, the passport should allow for the tracing of the actors and manufacturing facilities related to that product. Exactly how they do medical devices. And they say also that in order to ensure interoperability, the unique operator identifiers and unique facility identifiers enabling mm-hmm. traceability should be released in accordance with international recognized standards. You're not going to call your suppliers ABC. No, you're going to have to name. They're going to have to be named. Right, and I, I know already for sure that several, uh, you know, a number of companies. Uh, including big big retailers and and, and others in, in the EU are fighting that. Uh, they're saying, "What? Are you kidding?" But then mm-hmm. it's um, the Commission doesn't work for companies that import products into the EU. Let's make it very clear. The defense. No, it doesn't. No. They no. they need to make sure that on the internal market things can be compared and there's no false claims and everything. So the consumers can make their choice. They say very clearly they want the uh, more eco-friendly companies that have better practices and so on and so forth to gain market share. So they want to encourage that. And they've been uh, holding a lot of discussions and workshops and, and surveys and so on of a host of different companies in the EU obviously to get some feedback on what they're doing and get some ideas on how to make it better and so on and to understand the impact. But think about it. All the companies that are manufacturing in the EU, they're quite happy about that. Say, yes, yes. Stop all these imports of, you know, uh, yeah, products that are very uh, harmful to the environment, you know, stop all this stuff. We are happy to be... Um, you know, to, to enable traceability, do it. And then on the other hand, you have companies that import products that say, well, I mean, this is going to be difficult for us, you know, for our business model, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, but at the same time, the, the commission says, but wait a minute, if, it's, if people can actually trace back, you know, this product to its supplier, what, what are you afraid of? You're going to be in competition with 
with like some people selling the same thing on Amazon and so on. But again, yeah, but, we're going to make... it doesn't matter. It, but it doesn't say that. What it's saying is that the unique identification passport will be the proof of that the claims which have been made are yes. substantiated. Yes. Okay. Exactly. All right. The, the technical file or the data in there is held on, on secure networks and only released to authorized persons. Right. Not to everybody. Not to everybody. Right. This is not, not so clear. They, they do say that to respect intellectual property and so on, it's not going to be all transparent to all actors, correct? No, definitely but they do not, not. Say, they do not say what is going to be hidden to whom and so on. So some companies are up in arms, I, I know already. Yeah, but... I, think, I, I think the way that I read the, the, the requirement here is that the passport is going to be a single visa, shall we call it, for the product coming into the EU. Behind that, there is a security code which people can log in. They can go on and to say, yes, the claims made by this product or this manufacturer are genuine. If it's not there, it's still unquestioned whether or not it has to be there yet. I haven't got to that point yet. But the technical file or the data which is behind that is available to and it says interested stakeholders and regulatory bodies. Now, two things. They're calling into they're calling up here the labeling laws of the EU. So the product labeling laws are the way that the product passport becomes, shall we say, in green into the product with its unique identification number. The question's got to be asked is that the notification bodies are the ones when they give that CE mark, for example, they're going to have to verify that this company and this product actually do meet these regulations. That's an enormous amount of work on the notification bodies, as you can imagine. I don't see them backing off from this because I, I, I can, I'm just here. Okay. The sustainability reporting under, C, uh, under uh, CSDR, CSRD, and it says to strengthen transparency around sustainability and other non-financial matters in April 2021. The European Commission has published a proposal for Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. It's a directive, yeah? Together with the EU taxonomy and the CSRD form sustained financial packages that aims to streamline the flow of capital towards companies that demonstrate positive social and environmental impact and sustainability activities in general. Okay? Mm. Now, if I read that correctly, the CSRD is going to replace the um, NFRD starting from, the, from 2023. So that's next year. Mm -hmm. Okay? Six months' time, that changes. So we're not talking we're not talking years here. We're talking months. Oh, okay, yeah. a lot of things yeah. are. This this you know. Yeah. Now what they're saying is that 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 under the directive, only about twenty percent of large companies currently apply for existing reporting standards. So the GRI or the GHG protocols, and only thirty percent seek seek some kind of assurance from their sustainability reporting. 
that will increase to 80%. You're going from 20% to 80%. Yes. Yeah? Yes. I mean, these are here, okay? They're in, in, in the report. And, you know, I don't see uh, anywhere that in the, the pages and pages and pages of proposals, which are currently before the, the commission, I do not see any dissent in anybody that's actually commented on this. I don't see any individual government saying this is a bad idea or anything. I, I see that everybody seems to be very much in lockstep to get this done. Mm. Now, <laughs> we're both Europeans. Well, I used to be, but not so much now, but there you go. <laughs> um, have you ever seen the EU in such lockstep before? Not on many topics. Not on many things. No. 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 So what's got to what what, what I think the, the the big whole question now is what can we do to help people to suddenly not run into this brick wall? And that's I think that's that's a great topic for, for a separate podcast, really looking at what does it actually mean you know, environmental impact throughout the life cycle. And then also how do you, as an importer, if you import from, let's say, China or, or Vietnam or some, some, some other places, um, how do you actually make progress with your, with your suppliers to collect some of this data over time, at least in a, a, with stages? But you need to start to collect some data and to do some analysis and... Yeah, your sourcing people might become very busy suddenly. I I would suggest that companies conduct an in-depth risk analysis right now. Oh yeah. Well, to see the gaps. Right. What do they yeah. not even know? Because yeah, most of them don't even know the situation. The risk. Yeah, I mean. I mean, ask yourself, I mean, uh, okay, ask yourself the questions, you know, talking to the audience here. The product which I'm buying, do I know what what stages and steps have gone into making this product that I'm buying? Now, if the answer to that is no, then I would say, then you have got a great deal of risk of falling foul of these regulations when they come in, into force in full bloom. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. So now's yeah, the time yeah. to ask this to start ask this asking this question. Right, right, right. And you know, for example, if you make a PCBA, you need to know everything that's gone into that manufacturing process before you even start touching it. Including PCB boards, which can be everything. everything. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Right. Plus, yeah. The, um, yeah, together with the batteries, what what are the oh, batteries? Where, where... Is a whole new batteries oh. is a whole new hurt. Is a yes. is a here yeah. uh, lithium ion and lithium ion nitroxide batteries. Not 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 withstanding lead acid batteries, but but the recyclability of computer batteries now is a huge problem. The actual, I mean, the, the actual way that, that you recover the lithium to reuse again, obviously, once it's been stripped, it can be reconstituted and it can be used again. 
but it's an extremely toxic environment, is that? Oh, yeah. And it's also very um, energy hungry. That's why it's never been done before. Mm-hmm. And the same, thing, same thing for textiles, especially the dyeing process. And if yeah. it's synthetic fibers, uh, how, how, yeah, how's yeah. the fabric made? Um, that's, uh, that's, that, that's, that's a long topic. That's a long topic. But if you, if you don't even know this and also have an idea about where these different steps are made in, in, you know, geographically, um, you should start to do a lot of research. So I think that's, that's a good way to, to conclude this, uh, this episode. Uh, basically here, the goal was to get people a, a good idea about what's coming up in terms of uh, requirements, right? And if, just to summarize, we're going to look at anything that impacts sustainability and circularity, right? Product durability, reusability, upgradability, repairability, the presence of substances of concern. So reach is going to get to a whole new level. Uh, product energy and resource efficiency, recycled content of products, product remanufacturing and recycling, if possible, at the same level of quality, not downcycling. So, and oh, over manufacture. Yes, overproducing in a way that leads to uh, unsold products that have to be incinerated or sent to landfill, which is a huge problem too. So let's, let's talk again uh, in, in, in a future episode, not, not too far into the future, about what companies actually should start doing if they import products from outside the EU. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Clive. No, uh, pleasure as always. It was good to good to have a discussion over this. And thanks everybody. And you'll hear from us as usual every week on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.